all you bookworms. This is the Page Turners Podcast. I'm Jenna. And I'm January. In this podcast, we will delve into all genres, from psychological thrillers to the steamiest of romances, from the top of the bestseller list to unknowns and those making the buzz list, including traditional and indie published authors. With Page Turners, no page will be left unturned. During this episode, we will be discussing The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Hey all you page turners, thanks for joining us again. I'm January Rutherford and I'm here with Jenna and Lauren Amberton. We are going to be discussing The House in the Cerulean Sea. This is a fantasy book by T.J. Klune and one that has gotten so much hype with so many people. In fact, I've only read maybe a couple of reviews on it of people that didn't like it. I didn't even see any bad reviews, but I didn't really look either. I'm going to start by saying I really liked this book. It was so unique and out of the ordinary for books I read. Even though I like the fantasy genre, this was a different kind of fantasy. I usually read about, you know, princesses and magic and spells and things like that. And this is not exactly that kind of fantasy. The main character is Linus Baker, who I see as this older wimp wimp. yeah there you go older wimp who lives in a city that's so dreary and he thinks his life is fine he's a play it safe by the rules kind of person oh definitely And, and we see that maybe life isn't so good for linus in his current state i think the book was fantastic jenna what were your general thoughts on it At first, it starts off really slow, but still enough to hold your attention. I think I gave it a four star. I liked it, but I didn't love it, so I enjoyed it. But right there with you, it's something different. It was a different take. I went into it not knowing if I was going to like it or not because I kept thinking that we were going to compare it to Miss Piergan's House for Peculiar Children. Now, it does have some Miss Peregrine's vibes. Yes, it does. But I also feel like there's a, there's a, a Harry Potter sense, and I love the Harry Potter series, but that same magical creature type thing, creature yeah. or environment, I, th- I think it has shades of that. Yeah. Lloyd, what would you think of? Well, I thought it was very percentage, and I thought about Miss Peregrine's and Harry Potter, but I thought it was a different vibe than those two. One thing I thought in this book, that even though it's, fantasy there are so many real world lessons oh absolutely i mean it is chock full oh yeah maybe maybe too many packed in to one book let's talk about some of those themes those those lessons that you learned what if you want to what what was one of the big lessons you learned from the book to be i mean i am open-minded but it taught me to be even more so Uh because when you see somebody or an object. It could not be what you think it is. Uh-huh. And you should hold your judgment to find out more about it at least. Oh, absolutely. I think the whole book involves that. I think every character presents themselves one way at first and then changes and you realize that they weren't that way to begin with. Oh, definitely, yes. The whole story is also, the whole book is very sweet and innocent. It is. But yet, again, those hard-hitting issues and themes. Yeah, there's some deep controversy Oh, yes, there are, yeah. I mean, it's, do you see it as a young adult? I did not list it or think of it or register it as a young adult. I did not either, to be honest with you. 
to be honest, it like it had young adult vibes, but it was very much geared towards Mr. Baker, who is an adult. So I would I don't I wouldn't even call it a new adult because I mean he's an older gentleman. It was very innocent, childlike young adult kind of because it was an innocent kind of read. But I yeah I don't know if I would actually consider it young adult. There was young adult characters, the kids. So yeah, the but kids it are... followed mainly the two adult oh, uh, yeah. men. So but some of the themes again, you prejudice. Being kind. Homophobia. Homophobia was a... Homophobia. I think the whole book is almost like a metaphor of homophobia. Mm -hmm. And and what the world is really like. Yeah. And how homophobic so many people can be. Yeah. Um, And I also... Another huge theme, I think, in this book is family. Yes. Togetherness. Family and not, you know... And being there for each other. And not not even blood family. Yes. The importance of having people in your life that are there for you. The people that you meet that you make your family. Yes. Yeah. Not the family you're born into. Absolutely, yeah. Also, well, what is more important in a character or in a person, how they're born or how they're raised? You know, what makes a what makes you that person? Yeah. You know, how you were born or how you were raised. I personally so, think it's how you're raised. It's how you're raised. Not to, it, you, people are born under horrible and great circumstances. So you can't judge somebody on that. So same with like the kids. Like mm-hmm. they were born a certain way with certain abilities or some of the characters can be considered yeah. as a blob. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, they you can't judge somebody by that. So it's very easy to do in today's society. And I really hurt, like it hit home a lot where those posters where it was like, Say, see something, say something. Yeah. yeah. That was so dark, and I did not like that. Mm. You know, we have the, the kids who are magical, so they're discriminated against because they're magical. Mm-hmm. Or, but, or completely different. Or yeah. completely different. Yes. Uh, you've got Linus and then Arthur Parnassus, who is the headmaster of this orphanage where these kids are living. And these two characters are gay. So you've got the LGBTQ discrimination. Uh-huh. Although I don't see a lot of the discrimination of that in the book. I do because there are certain parts of it where they, especially more towards the end. Okay. Because when they were talking about being together, they were worried about like spoiler, like the adoption process. Okay. Of I having think, two yeah. male true. fathers in the home. So he was talking about that. So it was more later on than it was like throughout the entire book. Although in the beginning there was... Linus's neighbor lady. Yes, she was, was terrible. She was awful. She was a bitch. She was. <laughs> she was awful. She was, but she kept saying, didn't she have like a nephew or a son? Yes. Was she was gay? trying to hook him up with somebody, yes. and then she's like, oh, you don't go that way. I have a nephew or yes. cousin so or something. So even though I, I think she was prejudiced against yeah. gays, she would say, oh, but I have a nephew that's gay. So, so it was like one of those, like, oh, I'm allowed to be homophobic and say hurtful, mean things yeah. because my, my, yeah. Yeah. I thought she was just an act to torment him to make him feel bad about who he was. Everything. Everything. Oh, she's and a bitch. She was. <laughs> Everyone tormented Linus, whether it was, you know, At work for being heavy. You uh-huh. know, he was a little chunky, I guess. He yeah. had a little weight on him. He was hard on himself for that. I think more than anybody else. And then they found him because his best friend was a cat. Yeah. Yeah. That he, you know, he lived alone. His best friend was his cat. He kind of a dorky kind of character. Yeah. But he changes and grows so much through this book. So Linus works for the department in charge of magical youth. Yes. Or dichemy. Dichemy. 
Yeah, which is the abbreviation. And he is given a task by his superiors to go to this island in the Cerulean Sea. The a island. Secret island. Secret island, that's right. Yeah, secret island. Mar Marcius? Marcius? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Is that what the name I think, is? I think it was Marcius, how I pronounce it. And they're tasking him with to kind of investigate this orphanage where Arthur is and where all these kids are. Because apparently these kids are so dangerous, they're going to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. I think the back of the book that said that was very misleading. Uh-huh. Because as you read the book, you find, find out that's what's happening. Oh, it's hardly mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like, the only one that was, that they were, like, I think they used that term with was Lucy. Yes. Because none of the other kids were really a danger. Oh, no. Neither was Lucy. They were just different. Yeah, Lucy wasn't either. I mean, Lucy could be. Yes. But. They were just mischievous. So let's talk talk about these kids. These kids are the whole book. These characters, how TJ Klune writes these these kids is just phenomenal. The detail and the personality he gives each one. So we'll start with Talia. Talia is a female garden gnome. Well, what is your take on Talia, Floyd? I just want you to pick her up and pinch her cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> she was sassy. Yes, she was. That's what I liked about her. Yeah. yeah. She would have these sweet moments, like the moment where they ended up going to a store and she goes to like the hardware store. Uh-huh. And she's just like, you know, all she wants to do is talk about like the, the garden tools. Tools. Yes, yes. And that's when she makes a friend with the owner, owner of the hardware store, who is also the mayor. The mayor. Yes. Yeah. You know, the mayor becomes a good character because she defends, you know, Arthur she and yeah. the island and pushes the townspeople to look at them and say, hey, yeah, we're just because them. they're different doesn't mean we can't be kind. Yes, yeah. remember, at first, she didn't know what to think about She didn't. She was sort of standoffish. But she wasn't mean. No, but I think it was, had a lot to do with the fact that she had heard all these things. Yes. So she was judging them without actually seeing That's them. That's what I was trying to yeah. say, yes. So then when she met Talia, she was like, whoa, you know, yeah. she likes a lot of the same things that I do, and, you know. But it's so fun. Talia is so funny, though, because she, she, she gets angry a lot. But and she's a she's like a two hundred year old no uh-huh. is that right yeah and she always like wants to threaten to bury bodies in her garden fertilizer <laughs> fertilizer yeah. yeah but yet she's sweet too yeah so I love Talia you know I can just see this little garden stone garden gnome with a beard and everything uh-huh. and yet she walks and talks and has an attitude yeah next character I got here is Theodore he was a is it a wyvern or a wyvern. I think I pronounce it Wyvern. Wyvern? It's hard to pronounce it. Um, so he, in my mind, it, it, I get it's like a little dragon. That's what I envisioned him as, was a little dragon. I envisioned him as Mushu from Mulan. Oh, well, he's, he's a dragon. <laughs> yeah, right? he's like a little okay. bit dragon. That's what I pictured in my mind. I don't know why. And I love that he's also sweet in the sense that he collects little buttons and hides them under the couch. Uh-huh. I, I thought that was just these little details that yeah. DJ Klune adds. Are just so perfect. They're so cute. Well, what what do you think about Theodore Floyd? I really like him. Like you said, I like the fact that I collect buttons. He felt so honored to no end because someone gave him a button. A button. That was mm-hmm. it. That's what made him so happy. Yeah. A button. That was also a lesson about you can take simple things and make yourself happy. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Linus, I think, realized that too because he kept giving him buttons. Yeah. It also reminded me. Okay, so if you've seen the. The Hobbit movies, the dragon, the big scary dragon that's in the Hobbit movie, mm. Smog, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. 
I guess dragons like to collect and keep they, have, they keep their hoard. They're shinies. They're, so yeah, yeah. Smog had yes. all those coins and gold, and that kind of made me think of that on a smaller scale. Yeah, because dragons a, like their dragons, so yeah. he hoards things. But he's a sweet little dragon. I didn't. I never really got that until you said that. But yeah, yeah I can see The buttons are his gold. Yeah, they are. Yes. Yeah, those are his treasures. Yes. And then there was Fee, P H E E. And Fee is the little forest sprite girl, uh-huh. and her power is like she can like grow plants and trees. Yeah, she's in touch with the earth and can and can make plants grow. Yeah, I didn't feel like she was a huge, and out of all the kids, that she was a huge character. No, because like I'm, I'll, honestly, I'll be honest, the one scene that I can remember is where she made those one flowers grow, and she's like, no, I didn't. I didn't make them. I just found them in the earth and made them come up. Yeah. That's the only real scene that I remember with yeah. her. Well, she made a dead tree come back to life, didn't she? I thought I remembered that. Maybe. Maybe. So she does have shows a shows a sense of, of life to yeah. her. You know, bringing bringing things alive. I think she's instead just of overshadowed destroy, instead mm. of destroying them. You know. Yeah. All the townspeople are so scared of these, and the you know the government agency are so scared these kids are gonna cause so much damage because she can bring about life. I think a lot of the other characters just overshadow her. Yes. Without them, they're more important. The more important, like yeah, she was the weakest person. Yeah, there yeah. was a scene though, I think, with her and Linus, where Linus realized how beautiful these these children are yeah. because you know she could create life. I mean, maybe she didn't see it that way. She saw it as found, finding the the flowers yeah. in the earth and bringing them up. I like yeah. to call it secret abilities. Yeah, yeah. secret abilities. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Then there's Sal. Sal is just a normal teenage boy who can shift into a Pomeranian. Uh-huh. <laughs> How did he come up with these characters? The well, idea for these characters. Well, I thought about him today because the housing authority had an album. That little dog in yes. today, yeah. And it was Pomeranian. But Sal is very quiet, skittish. Even he was mistreated the most. He was very mistreated. So when he gets too scared, he turns into a Pomeranian. Uh-huh. And when he bites, he can have. He can transfer that like so that person can turn, shape shift into something. Yeah. So that's why he's been deemed so dangerous. Yes. He didn't even know he could do that. No, until the first one. Yes. Yeah. And he was defending himself when he yeah. did. Oh, yeah. He's also a writer. And I don't have a copy of the book with me, but Sal wrote a poem that he reads that was just so profound. Uh-huh. And I wish I had it here about, I think, about paper. Do you, do you remember the poem? Do you remember thinking how, I remember reading it, how, I don't pro- remember. how I don't profound remember. the poem was? So this teenage boy, is he's got very deep thoughts, and he's good at expressing them through poetry and writing. And I think out of all the characters, he is the one that Linus kind of... And he was also the most shy, I Yes, that yeah. kind of that opens up to Linus the last. Yeah. It was harder for Linus to get close to Sal than any of the other characters, I feel. And then the next character was Chauncey. And he was my favorite. I feel like I could totally picture him in my head as this almost Slimer-like blob with eyes on tentacles like an insect kind of and all Chauncey wants to do is be a bellhop. See when I think of Chauncey I think of Bob from um, Monsters vs. Aliens. I think that's what I think of. But yeah he's like I think he is the I don't know he's got all of it. He's got the humor. He's got the sweetness. He's just he's innocent. Like he just wants to be a bellhop. That's like his lifelong goal and I just I think he's so sweet. I'll him 
wanted to be a bellhop as a metaphor for it. He just wanted to help people. He wanted to be needed. And I love when, so he goes to that hotel, uh-huh. and, and they're going to give him an opportunity to help or something. Yeah, like one day a week or something. Oh, my gosh. It was just the sweetest thing. I could just feel his excitement. Yeah. You know, lifelong dream, I'm going to become a bellhop. Yeah. I admit, I cried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that I was love was because they constantly put it in his, almost called him Bob, in Chauncey's head that he was a monster. So he had it in his mind that he had to hide under people's bed and scare them like because, a monster under the bed. Oh, because yes. that's what he thought he was, was a monster. Because everybody put it in his head. And I thought that was funny, on a funny sense that he kept yes. doing it. But it was Because sad. it was sad the reason it started, but it was funny because he kept doing it at that point to get a rise out of him. Yeah. Because he was trying to oh, scare yes. him. But yeah, the whole reasoning behind it was extremely sad. Like, and yeah, I thought it was really heart-wrenching when he realized he didn't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And, and I thought it was it was kind of funny. Yes. So he wants to do all these things for Linus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was trying to bring him towels or something or a blanket or wash his clothes, wash his clothes and... carry his suitcase. He just wants to do all these things for Linus. All mm-hmm. the tips. He and, tips. Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he did want tips. But that's, you know, <laughs> bellhops are supposed to get tips. Yes. Yeah. So... Yeah, he, he wanted the full aspect of it. And he deserved it. He, he was so he sweet. He was such a good character. I love him. And then there's our favorite, Floyd, Lucy. So Lucy is this six-year-old little boy. Lucy is short for Lucifer because Lucy is the Antichrist. Yes, we have a six-year-old Antichrist in House of the Cerulean Sea. Little Damien. That's why this book is so wonderfully strange. Lucy, hilarious. His humor, right on par with my own sense of humor. It's dark and hilarious. (laughs) I mean, what what kind of humor would you think the Antichrist would have? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a pinpoint thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Some of his jokes, some of his his comments, or his little way of thinking. His sarcasm. Some of the little stunts he pulls. His way of thinking of how to handle situations. It's just... What you but, imagine the Antichrist to do. But like Chauncey, he's always been told that he's the Antichrist. He's bad. Yeah. He's, he's going to destroy the world. Uh-huh. He, he is terrible for humanity. Yeah. But yet he, here he is, this six-year-old little boy that I imagine with maybe like a missing tooth in the uh-huh. front. Oh, yes. Who's just a little boy. He is just a kid. So Floyd, and that's what, why he wants to be. And that's why I think they've taken him away and put put him in this orphanage to try to raise him in a, a different way. Yeah. Even when he had to defend himself in that story, he felt really bad about it. He did. Yeah, he didn't want to hurt him. He just wanted no. him to stop. Yes. He was hurting him. He, the guy was hurting Lucy. Yes. He did feel bad. And I love his love for music. Yes. So Lucy loves vinyl records, records, old vinyl records, and he loves classic songs. Yeah, from the 50s and 60s, yes. which I have a special place in my heart for those. So, so I really related to Lucy. So when they describe you know his his room and him they, they don't have really a lot of belongings necessarily he has all these old records uh-huh. some that just hang on his wall oh, I yes. think I thought that was an amazing touch to have that little six year old even though he's an old soul he's the antichrist an old soul, otherworldly yes. liking something so I don't even I don't know something so just yes but that, yeah innocent but yeah. that's scene where he goes to town and they that was a scary scene yeah like because they had intentions of hurting him yeah but he does have power so he can fight back in a sense yeah Yeah. Um, he only did it as a last resort which uh i I noticed and the person that he hurt completely ran with it it was also the mayor's nephew yes nephew yeah 
Yeah, he ran with it and was trying to take off with it and make himself get himself 15 minutes of fame and also push more hate and division between them and the islanders. That really backfired. That backfired. The, uh, yeah, the mayor, the was, mayor like, was like, "No, what are you doing?" She's like, "That's my neck yeah. break. That ain't yours." Yeah, yeah. You didn't get that number, no doctor. What, what, okay, there was one more character that I didn't list, and I just remember the name of the ferryman. Who was that? The drunk guy, right? Yeah, the, the, I don't remember what his name was. I don't remember. He was either. a jerk, but yet he still was he drunk? Was he drunk? I think so. Yeah, yes. I felt like he was. And he would just drunk. he would just ferry them back and forth from the town to the secret island. Yeah, he was never sober. But I laughed when he because they make him seem like a good guy because they were like they're like thank you for not taking all these the mob over to the island he's like yeah. they weren't gonna pay they me gonna pay. all he was interested in was he didn't money. care yeah. he just wanted money that's he like, didn't he care who paid him he just wanted his money but they made him seem like a hero and then you find out he was just like i wanted money like you're a jerk there are certain people who i don't don't like fantasy or, or have trouble envisioning fantasy that i don't think would enjoy this book you've got to have an open mind and that sense of creativity i think to enjoy this because it is very unusual i just i felt in parts that it was slow because like the lead up when it first started i felt like the whole him talking about his bland life it was boring and slow but it was meant to be yeah i think that really set it up though for him to realize the excitement that's out in the world just how boring his life and sad his life was Mm -hmm. i mean not that i would discriminate against anyone who lives alone with a cat because i don't think that sounds terrible I mean, I, I, we know I love my cat. But TJ Quinn, just the way he describes everything just makes him a bad character again. And then the fact that it always rains. And how excited he was to see the ocean. Yes. Because he never took the time for himself because he just was going to his nine to five. That's another big thing. Stepping day. out of your comfort zone because you never know what kind of joy you're going to get out yeah. of that. Oh, another scene I remember. Got to bring it up about the horrible neighbor lady. That she had all of his flowers that he loved. The one thing I think he had beside his cat uh-huh. at his house was his flowers. Yes. He had a flower bed in front of his house. Yeah. So, but because he was gone for so long, she had someone come in and just take them all out. Mm-hmm. I would have knocked her out. She was a horrible neighbor, horrible character, and hor- horrible person. She was awful. It, was, it made me that much happier that he got out of there. And I was also happy that he stood up to her at the end. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I was waiting for it. And he stood up to the people at the... The high-up people. Yeah. Extreme upper management. Yeah. Extreme upper management. We laughed at that. Every time they said that, I was like, oh my gosh. So, yeah, he totally stood up to them and that I think that threw them off a lot. For some reason every time I read Extreme Upper Management it reminded me of the Supreme Court. I just I liked that he stood up to them. I liked that he was like screw the the system and started yes. stealing oh, yeah. stealing files from them yes. to expose, you know. And another character in that magical basically it's like a magical CPS. Yeah. Oh yeah. Basically. Child Protective Services. That's what I kind of see that. Yeah, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And but there's a character there who's in the extreme upper management, and he has a connection to Arthur. Yeah. And I think that was an important line in the story that that gets you don't really get it until the end. Yeah. Towards the end. Well, you got a, you got it at the beginning that he he had an inside source and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But you didn't know how extreme or in he really was until at the end. The ending we won't give everything away. 
But it was a pretty happy ending. Yeah, I like the ending. I think it sets itself up for a sequel, but I don't believe there is a plan for a sequel, even though this book has done extremely well with readers and critics. We have it in our TikTok, our book talk book shelf, and it sells out every time. I have to constantly order new ones. Yeah, I, I don't think there are plans, but I could be wrong. I have not read anything that suggests that he wanted to write a sequel, but I, I think it totally sets itself, sets oh, it itself up for a sequel. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, because they talk about a new character there at the oh, end. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, a new kid that's going to come to the island. Uh-huh. And the fact that Linus has taken all these files of all these kids uh-huh. and knows where they are to see maybe about bringing them yeah. to the island. Yeah. I mean, they could even, he could even do a novella just about Arthur. Yeah. Just about his backstory yes. and, like, you know, all the horrible stuff that he went through. Yes, because he was a dragon. Yeah. He was a phoenix. Yeah, yes, a phoenix. Yeah, so yeah, you yes. learn, a uh, spoiler, yes. spoiler. Sorry, um, yeah, spoiler. <laughs> no, you're fine. You learn that not only is he the headmaster of this orphanage, that he's the only phoenix. He was a phoenix, so he has magical abilities too, but he's hidden them for so long. And he's the only one in he's record. The only one, yes. And that's what made, made, made him dangerous. Yes, make him special. So, and he was abused as well from his headmaster. Yes, I think he and all the kids had the potential to be dangerous, but they all had terrific hearts. They yeah. do. Yes, and, and I think that was the difference between the children who could be bad mm-hmm. but have heart. You know, have these great characters and this great these great hearts to the people who are running this the magical youth organization. You know, here they are. I don't believe they have hearts, and they're supposed to be the good guys. Well, isn't there a thing where it's like nature versus nurture? Absolutely. And that's kind of like that. Like their nature is to be coherently evil and bad, but they have been nurtured by people who care, such as Arthur. And so they are growing up in an environment where they're loved. They are being taught that right and wrong. And so like they're, you know, being nurtured. And then, you know, at the end, because Arthur and Linus, I mean, I believe they're talking about marriage. Yeah. Getting married. And they want to adopt Uh all of the kids. It's a great, you know, a great discussion about adoption and how important adoption is. Uh Because there are so many kids out there that if they don't get into loving homes, can go the other way. Absolutely. This probably didn't occur to anybody but me. I thought it was a great advertisement to uh, adopt kids with disabilities. Yeah. Absolutely. Because these kids had magic, which could be said was their disability. Uh Which, I mean, technically in this world, that is what it was. It was a disability. Yes. What else can we talk about this book for? I know we, we have many discussions on this book oh, yeah. at work. Well, you didn't mention uh, Linus's boss. She was a sweetheart. Oh, oh yeah. Wasn't she? She was awful. Awful. Yeah, she was online with his neighbor. But I know we talked about a lot while we were reading this, uh, Linus's growth. Oh, yes. Just to see him blossom into this mm-hmm. more confident and adventurous uh-huh. character, was it was just great to to see that, to yeah, read that. Yeah, it was about the growth of a man. I felt, although there were very strong characters, I thought all the kids were just maybe secondary characters, and Linus was the main one over his growth, mm-hmm. because when the book first started, he was nothing but a wimp. Yeah. yeah. Like, and he became very strong. Very. Very opinionated. Yes, and, and he, was able to express his opinions. Yes, and he was afraid at the end of the book to express his opinions. Yeah, so I think it's an important read, and you, 
got to, if you don't see the, the heavy life lessons in it, then you're, you're missing it. I mean, you're reading. You're, you're missing the point. Yeah, oh, you're, missing the, you're point. missing the point of the book, yeah. Yeah, that goes Now, what, I'm surprised, honestly, because it's so popular, that it's not, not being made into a movie yet. Who knows? Mm. Who knows? Um, because I think there's so many fans of this book that it has a huge following. And you know what I picture when I picture it being turned into a movie? I picture uh, Blue Mini Snicket's Unfortunate Events. Okay. Like the, yeah. oh, the yes. way that... I read somewhere, someone suggested, they were like, please make this a Pixar movie. A Pixar animated movie. That would be yeah. cute. I would like that. I, I think it would be very popular. And, yes. and really, obviously, in, in this book, love's a huge theme. Love, acceptance. Uh -huh. And honestly, the fact that Linus and Arthur are gay didn't even seem like a big thing. No, no. it didn't me. They, it, doesn't, it didn't seem like a big thing. Like, yeah, yeah it didn't phase you. But they also didn't glamorize it. No. They made it like it was an everyday just a normal relationship. Yes. Like, yeah, Nobody, a normal beginning was of a relationship. attracted yeah. to this character. There was some hinting flirting. All yes, innocence, it was just there, a normal it relationship. It was like a normal, you know. Now, I believe, I think I read this. I hope I'm not saying this wrong. But I, I believe T.J. Klune is a, a gay writer. I believe he is gay. But I don't oh, know. Yeah, yes. um, yes. Which know makes sense because that. he writes this relationship so beautifully. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so beautifully said. done and, and so beautifully yeah. presented and, and so subtly that it's all... There you go. It's that's subtle. The it's subtle. And that's what I like about love. Uh, uh, or not even just love, but like love in books. It's not that insta-love. It's like a subtle... Subtle. Subtle and, and then you're so, suddenly free-falling into love. It was well, so I brilliant. Go into it. Yes. yes. It yes. was so brilliantly done that I'm almost like, you know, I think it would be hard for maybe a straight writer to write something so... Oh, it would. So yes. perfectly, yeah. So subtly, I think it would be extremely hard. Yeah, like the book says, like a big gay blanket. Yeah, like yes, it yes, does. Yes. At the one of the reviewers of the book, I think it's printed at the top of it, says this book is like a big gay blanket. It just wraps you up and just makes you warm. And I've always said that true love knows no gender. Yeah, no, no gender, no. no race, no, no nothing. No. And I think that's the big one of the big points of this book. Uh -huh. That love is love, whether exactly. you're gay or whether you're a six year old antichrist. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody's capable and everybody is deserving. Absolutely. His heart was full of love yes. for everybody. Oh, he was. He was such a sweet little boy. Yeah, he was very protective. I really like that way you said very everyone's capable and deserving. Yeah. Of love. I think that sums it up. Perfect. Oh, no, I congratulate you. Oh, thank you. See, sometimes I think words happen, right? <laughs> well, I, I think that's all I've got uh, on this book. Anybody have any parting words on the House of the Cerulean Sea? No? No, I think we've covered it all. Yeah. All right, let's delve into then some of the other books. This is something we do on each episode where yeah. we talk about what we're previously you know, reading. What, what we've read recently or what we're reading now. So, Jenna, do you want to start off? I'm still, I've still been kind of on a book slump. I have been extremely busy. So, the last book that I read was I read some more witchy books and then I read, I read the next podcast book, which is Becoming Barker. And then I'm currently reading, I decided to read something for myself because I have been reading things that I had to read for other things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read one for myself. And Riley Sagar just got a new book that came out. So I started that. And I, it's kind of getting me out of my slump, sometimes, getting back into reading. Sometimes you've got to do that. Like when you, 
you've hit several books that you're not enjoying, you've got to pick up one that you know you'll enjoy. So I have read What Does My Dream Mean About Dream Interpretation. Was that pretty interesting? It was pretty cool. It's interesting. The Magic of a Dream Book. And then this one was messed up. This was uh, recommended, which I need to give it to you. A book club member, Jenna, recommended it to me or gave it, loaned it to me. I had it on my to-read list. It's called Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke. It's a little novella and it is dark. It's got the creepiest cover. And dirty. Ooh, dirty. Dark and dirty. Uh, then I read <laughs> I read The House Witch, and then I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Wow, there you go. That's that's not mm-hmm. subtle at all. No. And then <laughs> <laughs> And then I read Nothing But Black and Teeth. And that's got a creepy cover too. And then I am currently reading uh, the Riley Sagar book. And then I'm currently listening to a book on audibles. It's called Unfuck Your Brain. Oh, another (laughs) self-help. Another self-help book. So that's. That's what I've been up to. What about you? Okay, I am currently reading, almost finished with, got about 25 pages left, uh, a book called We Were the Lucky Ones. It is a World War II historical fiction. That is my go-to genre. I, I don't think I've ever read a World War II historical fiction book that I didn't like. So this one is absolutely beautiful, absolutely heart wrenching. It's about a family of like, it's got mom and dad, and I think they have like four kids, and they're grown, and what happens during the Holocaust, and they all get separated, but somehow, miraculously, they all survive. But they're all in different places, so they have to find each other again. Yeah. Amazing book. The print in it is a little small, and it has a lot of words on a page, so it's taken me a little longer to get through it. It's a 400-page book, but I think really it's probably more like a 600-page book. And but I, I can't recommend it enough if you like historical fiction. Absolutely beautiful. I also read The Life We Bury by Alan Eskins. Another great book. It's the beginning of a trilogy, I believe, and maybe he's going to write more. I don't know. But it was kind of a suspense mystery. It kept me on the edge of the seat. I, I highly recommend it. And then I read Eyes Like Stars. I don't know if I mentioned that on the last podcast. That was one of our book club books. Yeah. By Lisa Manchev. And it was a <laughs> young adult fantasy. And it was beautiful and fun. And if you like the theater, highly recommend reading that one and I also finished Becoming Barker by C.A. Francis which we'll talk about next time Uh and I also read One on the Banks of Plum Creek by Laura Ingalls Wilder which was the fifth one or the fourth fifth one Yes. It was the fifth one. It was the fourth one. The fourth one in that series. So I'm I'm gonna read all of those little house books and because you know they're they're just so sweet and innocent and there's no there's nothing dirty in them and there's no cussing and there's no you know major crime and they're just a throwback to you know like pioneer times. I think that's all I read. I had two more on my list, but I think maybe I mentioned them last time. What about you, Floyd? What have you read recently or are you reading now? Well, I, after I read the short see, I also read Black Klansman. Yes, because I actually read Black Klansman after you. Yeah, which was a very good book. And then very I, short read, too. I started 
to try to read Dr. Sleep, but the print was so small, the words started to cross. So I ordered a large print version of that. And while I was waiting for it to come in, I read uh, The Beast Within, which is the backstory of the prince and Beauty and the Beast. So I know that's coming to me after Jane reads yes. it. I think she's got it next. This is what we do at work. We I work with Floyd, and we, we pass around books. So me, Floyd, and our friend Jane, that's yes. what we do. Well, it sounds like we've all had a lot of good yes. reads. Uh -huh. I expect us to have many more in the mm -hmm. next podcast. I think that's all for me. How about you guys? It's all for me, too. Signing out. All right. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Next episode, we will be discussing the contemporary romance Becoming Barker by C.A. Francis. And as always, reach out to us with any recommendations that you have. Please feel free to rate us on any platform that you listen to us on and send us the recommendations to our email, pageturnerspodcast812 at gmail.com, and give our Facebook page a like, Page Turners Podcast with January and Jenna. And as we always say here on the show, no page is left unturned. Mm -hmm.